Welcome back to the Gen Z Speaks podcast. Today, there is obviously so much happening in the world. But before we get to it, uh, we'll just start off with some personal updates. With me today, my usual co-hosts, Jenish, thank you. How are you doing, my friend? Doing good, man. Just good? Nothing else? Just no, just, just good, man. I mean, I had a spring break this last week, but I mean, nothing was nothing much was done. You know, just working and just chilling at home. Nice, nice. And then last but not least, Matt Gutierrez. How are you? Doing amazing, buddy. Doing amazing. We got back from Cabo, right? A week and a half ago now. Week and a or, half ago. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, it's been working. How how have you been? Nice. I've been well. Uh yeah. So we went to Cabo about we came back a week and a half ago and then I flew to New York for my cousin's wedding three, four days later. And it was twenty-five degrees in New York, bro. It was really it was snowing a little bit in new jersey where we were and um in cabo the temperatures were what 75 degrees 80 and so yeah, yeah 75 80 and then yeah. so i went i was like summer's here you know i gotta prepare for that and then i went to new york and it was like the you know a whole new world so but it was a good experience though um, new york is changing uh it's um you know I, i've been considering it as a place would i would i stay in new york for a couple of years and the more I go to New York, I think I'd be able to live in the city oh, really? more and more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the For city. For me, it's been the opposite. The more I go to New York, the less I want to live there. Hmm. Why? I don't, I don't dig the vibe, man. It's just everybody's just on the go. And the more like I'm living life, I realize I don't want to be that fast paced in life. Mm. Um, and I feel like, like I've told you guys this before, like Chicago, I think it's like a cool neutral like where it, it's fast paced, but it's, there's still people that are like down to earth. There's still people that are kind of doing their thing without like that social rush. Mm. No, I actually love the fast paced nature of New York. Like I love how fast everybody walks. I love uh, <laughs> the, 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 what's it called? The hustle and bustle of the city. Um, the only thing is it, it, in terms of like cleanliness, I've noticed that New York's gotten a little more dirty uh especially like walking through the subways and obviously there's the homeless problem that's prominent in every other major urban city but i don't, worse I don't in know. la the homeless What's problem it? in new york i mean honestly i didn't go that much into manhattan i was there for like a couple of days so i from what bro, i saw it's the same like nothing new york's changed. pretty stagnant bro la has just been an increase and an influx yeah, more LA than is, anything else yeah los angeles is definitely crazy because i feel like a lot of people come here right the weather because too. of the weather yeah yeah. yeah yeah like would you rather be you know um, 25 live, degree weather or 75 yeah you know? i mean exactly so no la is uniquely yeah, crazy speaking of like there was a the la mayoral race is happening uh, currently, I mean, I, I, we don't, we won't talk about it today, but maybe some other day. But yeah, one of the things that we're talking about in the debate was uh, the crisis of homelessness, and it's interesting because two major candidates have uh, emerged. One, Rick Caruso, who's a businessman. If you guys have heard of the Grove in LA, he owns that. He's a real estate mogul tycoon, um, and uh, he says he's going to put all his investments and everything in a blind trust, so he doesn't have a conflict of interest. But he's running against Karen Bass who is currently a congresswoman in Congress. And uh, they're basically the two top contenders. But yeah, I, I just mentioned it because where I work uh, as my student job, USC Center for Political Future, we recently hosted a debate and uh, they were you know, talking about homelessness. But I digress. So yeah, no, New York is a great place. I think uh, if, if, listen, I think New York is great if you would live in like those high-rise Manhattan buildings and like, you know, 
You know, I think that's the type of New York. <laughs> Bro, that I'm of course, man. That's everybody's envisionment. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, like, I, yeah. LA yeah. is great if you live in the hills, you know? Dude. Uh, <laughs> I think LA is great Backwards. regardless. Um, but you have access. I mean, no, it's, you're right. Come you're on. Right. That's ignorant of me to say. But I, I, I just think, I think Los Angeles overall is just a better city than New York because there's more you can do. That's you know? agreeable. I agree, yeah. dude. Like, there's everything here, right? So it's nice to just be here, be around everything, be able to do whatever you want, go to eat wherever you want. Everything's uh, close to each other. Close that's, that's actually what I really love about, you know, cities like New York and L.A. It's like diversity of, you know, food cultures. There's so much things to like, you know, we could try Korean food. We could try like Mexican food yeah. and everything tastes great, you know, because all these cultures are living here. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, if you go to some, you know, remote uh, city, it, you know, you have less access to those things. New York, though, has great food. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I know. just like LA. Yeah. Yeah, I just have an attachment to LA. Yeah, well, because you were born and raised there, so I mean, <laughs> that's home. But Chicago has great food. Their mm -hmm. Mexican food's not top tier, but uh, I think every else major city has solid. great food. No, doesn't every major city? Yeah, they're, they're all no. You know what, dude? You know who doesn't? San Antonio. San Antonio is that Texas a major city though? Not, I would consider it. Yeah, actually, yeah. I, have a sports yeah. team. Does Seattle have good food? I've never been. I've never been to Seattle. Uh, okay. That's our next stop. Yeah, I do want to go to Seattle. Food. I have a lot of family who lives in Seattle, and they'll, they're always telling me to come up there. But yeah, I want to visit. I'll but stay it's always with you, bro. Go for it. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. It's always raining there. That's the uh, that's a problem, yeah. though. So. Yeah. We gotta... Have you seen the islands off of off of uh, Washington? I've heard about them. Yeah, they're beautiful, pretty cool. man. It yeah. seems amazing. People have like their own. <laughs> seems Dude, amazing. <laughs> seems amazing, bro. People yeah. have like their own islands there. And it's like, there's just a ton of them, right? There's hundreds of them. And so you can literally have your own house on your own island off the coast mm -hmm. of Washington, which is pretty cool. I, Let feel me ask like, mm -hmm. uh, I just want to say, I feel like I always thought owning island is cool, but the more and more I think about the practicality of it, it just <laughs> seems like so inconvenient. Like imagine you're living on an island, you need to like get something like, you know, you need to buy something. You got to go all the way back to the city, buy it and then come all the way back. Unless then, you're ultra wealthy. And then it's just like, do you remember, do you remember in succession that, yeah. the, the, uh, that guy, uh, what was it? I don't remember his name, but he was one of the investors and that dude had his own Island and that was amazing. Oh, you're talking about Adrian Brody. Like he's, um, yep. He's in the pianist. He's known in the pianist and like they go to yes, his Island. Exactly. To, okay. Brody. Yep. Yeah. Succession's a great show. Let me ask you this question though. Would All you right. live in Cabo? um like would you live in cabo as a young adult <laughs> like in your current uh no no just as dude. a vacation spot why not yeah just as a vacation spot first off like the hustle it's not the same like like i'm trying to build something right I'm there not is no hustle just, in cabo it's just that's retirement that's a, and vacation well there is i mean some of these guys are hustling it's just not the same hustle we're used to you know mm, like some of these guys you, you can't you can't knock them for it right because they're that's hustling true. to you know make it ends meet and they're like trying to get touristy stuff going on, like jet skis or like parasailing, like we did. They're hustling to survive. They're hustling, exactly, they're hustling to survive. We're hustling mm -hmm. to get our family to the next level. Build. And so it, it's a it's a little different, right? Yeah. Um, when we were in Cabo, it was so interesting to see. There, it was a tale of two cities. You know, in one part, you'd see like these rich college kids going out and partying, and then literally on the other street it's a family selling bracelets, right? I mean, like we saw like a, like a mother 100%. with her two sons selling bracelets and like shirts and like other stuff. 
and all homemade stuff too right all homemade stuff what what did i buy i bought them each for like five bucks and like to them it's like the world right you buy three of them 15 bucks that's 15 times 20 that's 300 pesos like that that's good for them you know that's like Mm -hmm. day's work and it's only one person so uh it's 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 pretty crazy to see Mm -hmm. yeah no i i I would not live in cabo either even for retirement or vacationing um maybe i'd go there some like three four years from there is the veg life too much or veg so veg I, I nobody knows what veg life means this guy has was telling me to veg out no i asked other mean? kids there other students they had no idea it just basically means let me let this you explain it i, I don't even know what to okay, say okay so apparently it's an older term um i've learned it from my dad and so like i've been saying it thinking other people know and like people some people know and some people don't know but apparently ibrahim and his folklore from <laughs> see they don't they don't know you don't know either jenna so maybe it's just me but what a veg is is like it's fuck it sounds messed up if you think about it because it's like a vegetative state people in a vegetative state and so all they do is you know sit there relax and so when you say to veg out it's kind of like saying like i'm more of like being like a veggie at this moment like i just want to veg out and relax and so that, that that's the the gist of it yeah yeah it's yeah, very boring redundant and it's not worth it in my opinion <laughs> Maybe to yeah. try it for a couple of days. Well, okay. It, the thing is like about vegging out, it's cool. Cause like, if you're on the grind, you're on the grind, then it's like to get your mind off of stuff. You know, you're in Cabo, you're like, have a beautiful ocean right there where it had an all-inclusive resort. And like, it's nice. You're able to grub on what you want to grub on, you know, chill out on the beach and veg out for a few days and not have to think about all like the pressures that you have going on back at home. Right. And so it, it's, it's nice to have for a few days, but I get it, dude. It's like, you can't do it for like a long period of time. I feel the same way. I think six days, we went for what, six days? That yeah. might've been a stretch, right? I think yeah. four days would have sufficed. That's why I don't understand the concept of retirement. Like, what are you supposed to do when you retire? Just just do nothing and relax. Like, that's why I'm so against it. It's like, you should, uh, God like willing, you know, you're healthy and like you can physically do all the things. I feel like you should never really retire. You should always just keep doing what you love and, you know. Yeah, and maybe just do. change it up. I feel like, you know, if you're yeah. tired of something, do something yeah. new. But the thing is, like, we're all different, right? Some people want to veg out all day. People don't want to worry about anything and they just want. But how can you do that? I understand. But like, how do you do that? Like all day, like, let's say like a month. How would you just veg out and just sit there? I'm not saying I would, but I'm just saying there's people out there that do that. You know, I I don't understand it, though. Like, what are they thinking? All all those hours. I mean, they're not. They're relaxed, bro. Yeah, I mean, there's no worries. I mean, my grandma, I mean, she's retired. She's like 70 right now, uh, 75. Mm. And she's just kind of chills at home, you know, reads her like books and stuff. And, you know, uh, she's very Your grandma's satisfied too, right? Yeah, she prays. She's like very religious. So she's kind of just chills out. Mm. Bro, there's different people in this world, man. We're we're not all hustlers, dude. (laughs) No, not not even about the hustle. I'm just curious, like, like, what are they? A lot of people want to make the money and then just veg out, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I like this term. It just sounds weird. Yeah, I know, dude. I was like, what is he saying when he first said it to me? Dude, honestly, I, I would only say like a here and there and then Ibram made it like this whole thing. And so I just think it's a funny term to say now. Okay. So, well, all right. Um, well, that's that. Let's get into it. Yeah, yeah. So today we're going to be talking about uh, continuation of the Russia and Ukraine um, events. Then we're going to be talking about... Uh, what, what happened recently in Pakistan, my home country, and uh, Genesha's uh, enemy, um, nemesis, <laughs> um, my country, and my home country, the prime minister was facing a, um, a 
what is it called? It's uh, it's a uh, it's a motion of no confidence in which if a majority of parliament or the National Assembly votes in favor of it, the prime minister would be dismissed or in American terms impeached. And so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it more later, but we'll talk about that. And then uh, we'll also be talking about um, electric cars and, and false promises made by electric car companies. Um, so let's just dive into the Russian Ukraine stuff. Number one, I want to say we interviewed Max. You guys remember Max, right? Max Franco, our most recent Ukrainian uh, guest. And he mentioned that Russian morale was low and that Ukraine actually had a chance to win the war. And to be honest with you, when he was saying it, I didn't really, I was very dubious and skeptical because like, you know, Ukraine's a very smaller country compared to Russia, but, but so far Russia has struggled, struggled and struggled, and they have had to reevaluate their military strategy instead of focusing more on the Northern areas where Kiev is located, the capital of Ukraine, they're now positioning more towards the east, the Donbass areas where Russia has already, you know, been uh, fomenting uh, rebels and separatist movements for the last 10, 15 years. And so as these Russian troops leave a lot of the northern areas like Bucha and, and even areas around Kiev, they're committing mass casualty events. And the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, today called these acts by the Russian government as genocide which is the furthest that he has gone in his criticism of Russia. But yeah, in terms of numbers, uh, 18,000 Russian soldiers have been killed. Uh, according to Ukrainian officials, that number might be less or more. Uh, but, um, you know, thousands of Ukrainian civilians at this point have been killed. And um, I was just watching the news and there's a trail of like casualties uh, as these Russian soldiers leave, like they're just commit, committing atrocities against these civilians, rounding up people ages 18 to 60. These reports haven't been confirmed, but I mean, why would I doubt them? Because Russia is honestly fighting a war that doesn't have any justification. And so, yeah. So what, what, what is your guys' take on what's been happening? Some of the developments. Now it's been six weeks in total, I believe, that the war has, has, is happening. Yeah, I can go ahead. So I think I think it's pretty obvious, like, right, if Russia wanted to just take down Ukraine, they could just take down Ukraine. But it, I don't think they want it to get to like an atrocious level. Obviously, I'm not saying what's happening isn't atrocious. It is. Um, but to have a whole country die out, it's uh, it's not it's, it's not a good thing. Right. And no country would respect Russia the same, especially for no apparent reason. They just completely destroy a country. Uh, so my whole thing is Russia is, is, I think they're trying to be clever about it. And they were obviously, uh, they kind of mis misconstrued like what Ukraine was actually was capable of and what they were going to do. Uh, and what they did was, you know, they went in like uh, guns blazing, try to take them out. It's not working, obviously, because there's a lot of, you know, country pride and nationalism going on. Uh, but I think they're trying to restructure. What I heard was Russian officials were saying that they pr they uh, promised that they would take it down a notch on Ukraine. But Western officials are all saying that it's baloney, right? That they're just trying to, you know, play out this military strategy and restructure it. Uh, and so I think it's going to keep going. And I don't think there's going to be a stop. I think Putin has too much self-pride, I guess, if you want to call it that. 
And uh, it, it's not a good thing, but that's what's happening. I feel like he's too deep into the hole to, you know, dig out at this point. And I feel like also I recently just saw that about 135,000 uh, Russian men were drafted into the Russian army for their annual uh, spring uh, draft. Um, so, you know, they're still, I guess, going to uh, proceed with the invasion, but it just feels like, you know, after uh, talking to uh, our guests, um, remember they mentioned that Ukrainian, um, you know, U Ukrainian morale was high and the, even, even them being Ukrainian, they were surprised of the amount of patriotism that, you know, the Ukrainians were um, showing. So I think um, Ukraine, Ukraine actually has a decent chance of, you know, holding off and maybe not, you know, winning the war str straight up, but at least giving a really, really good um, fight to the Russians. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the war is so far from over. Um, I think it, there, there have been peace talks amongst Russia and Ukraine, but a lot of them have not really resulted in any progress. I believe they're going to hold some more peace talks. But again, Zelensky, the, the peace talks between Zelensky and Putin, that's not happening anytime soon. Um, and um, I, I would say, like, if those two leaders were to meet face to face, then like I would start to believe that maybe peace is coming. But I think Putin initially wanted the entire Ukraine to be annexed with Russia. But now as Russian military, um, you know, they, they, as they struggle in areas like Kiev and other areas, I think, like I said before, they're focusing more on like a Eastern and Southern areas of Ukraine. Maybe they're going to have like parts of the country uh, and they're going to like label that as Russia as they have Crimea in the past. And so we'll see what happens. But I think I've been actually been thinking about this through the lens of Putin because the biggest Orthodox Christian church in Russia, they're supporting what Putin is doing. And I was watching a Ukrainian talk about his family members in Russia. And he was saying how they were completely brainwashed. Like when he talks to them, they say things that seem like outlandish and like they're defending Russia and Putin. And so it's been interesting to see you know, how Putin has kind of strengthened his grip on Russia. And again, like Instagram is not available in Russia anymore. A lot of Netflix is not available. And so their internet access is significantly, it, it's, it's, it's like a completely different world. And so I feel like a lot of Russians are misinformed and, you know, a lot of them do support Putin because they're being brainwashed. So, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with the future of Russia. Like, I don't know how this this all unfolds but i do think that in the end uh putin is just going to be like his rush a lot of the previous russian leaders uh he's not going to have a good legacy in russia you know after he because i'm assuming he's going to stay in power till he dies russia is not going to be in good hands and i think it actually will become more western and more democratic sooner rather than later exactly what putin fears so also, I think Putin just did not expect uh, the level of, you know, retaliation that he's facing right now from the Ukrainian army. And it just feels like uh, Putin thought it was going to be a 10-day excursion. We just goes in, takes some land and, you know, calls it Russia. Mm -hmm. But that is not how it turned out. Yeah. And what's, in what's interesting is like he was he was banking on the fact that the West, NATO, especially after Trump, that NATO was divided and that 
you know, the United States wasn't as strong. And so he, he actually thought that there would be a divided response by the West and NATO, but it's turned out to be more united than anybody could have imagined. Um, you know, there hasn't been this much unity in the West amongst Europe and America since World War II, I would say. So he was also banking on that and, you know, he made a miscalculation. So you think socially they're going to become more Western? You think politically? What do you mean socially? Like, like, um, do you think the people, that's what I'm asking. Like, do you think the people are going to become more democratized or you thinking people in his parliament are, or what, what did you mean by that? No, I think, I think they, so I think Putin number one was very scared that Ukraine was going to become more and more embedded within the European market economy. Primarily, he was scared that they might, you know, join the European Union and that they might, you know, progress uh, as, as a country. And so because Ukraine is literally right next to Russia, you know, and so if Ukraine is successful and people in Russia see how being more aligned with the West leads to more economic success, he was scared that that might happen in Russia and a lot of people in Russia might turn anti-Putin. And so he's trying to just destroy Ukraine. And again, like, He's using this propaganda and all this stuff. So I think people in Russia will always have antagonism against the West, you know, just because of history, Soviet Union, et cetera. But I think they will increasingly turn more democratic as a lot of them will realize, uh, you know, how Putin is just fooling them and, and he's lying to them. The, the Russian government is literally saying that all these images of, uh, you know, dead Ukrainians, it's fake. They're saying like, oh, it, it's fake images. Like we're, we're literally seeing dead bodies as the Russian troops leave and the reports of execution, they're saying it's all fake, that they don't, it's the, the, the audacity that the Russians have to just lie is mind boggling. Like they, they don't care. They're, Sorry, they're who lying. said it was fake? The so Russian authorities, Russian foreign minister, uh, Russian officials are denying the report. Fake? They're saying the images of Ukrainians that we, we can see for ourselves in newspapers by reporters covering it dead bodies of people are fake that the ukraine is just making it up and so yeah exactly so i mean russia does this um and, and, and you know that that's that's what they're telling the western people you know that it's fake imagine what they're telling you know to their exactly. audience exactly they're probably saying you know the ukraine is uh you know not suffied like they quote unquote said and just um you know there's a lot of i don't even know what propaganda they're displaying to the Russian people right now, but it must be some um, insane stuff. Yeah, and it's so. I think the, mm -hmm. Go ahead. The interesting thing is, like, why even deny that? And, like, it's quite it's a war. Quite obviously, there's going to be dead parties on either on either side, right? So why deny that any of your people are dying? No, no, no. They're they're denying that you that the Russian soldiers or the troops are committing atrocities against Ukrainian civilians. You can't do that in war. Even in war, you can kill civilians. It's like part of international law. That's a war crime. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, so that what they're that's what, what the Russians are. Okay. So the it. Russians are saying the images we see that's on, you know, we see of, like literally today I saw like the 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 city just mentioned near Kiev as Russian soldiers are retreating from there and going towards the southern and eastern parts of Ukraine, they're you know they're as if they see civilians. There were reports again not confirmed yet um, that they rounded up every single man in uh, in that area from 18 to 60 and they killed them they executed them you can argue that's uh so they're saying like images of people tied their hands were tied behind their back and they were you know you could see that they were executed are fake 
And so, um, yeah, and they, and they found, I think, like 400 dead bodies just today uh, in an area near Kiev. And so, yeah, so, you, so, you know, they, they have to. Got it, yeah. so they have well, to there's been there's been dozens of war crimes so far just in this war by Russia. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's pretty bad. Yeah. And, and what's interesting, though, it's like I'm I'm not sure if Biden and the U.S. are. Uh, so Biden basically said that Putin has to go. And a senator from South Carolina named Lindsey Graham, the greatest fool in the history, not in the history, but the greatest fool, one of the greatest fools in the current United States Senate. He said that somebody should take him out. He said that somebody should straight up assassinate Vladimir Putin. And like, obviously, you know, it's irresponsible to make that statement, regardless of how terrible of a human Putin is. But I don't know if this if this is a right strategy to, to straight up be so upfront about how, how Putin has to go and, and you know, this will lead into the Pakistan story that, that we'll cover, but I don't know if, if leaders of other countries should be calling, like, for the assassination, almost. Biden didn't do this. Lindsey Graham did, but still Biden said that Putin has to go. I don't know if, if, if he should be saying that, um, but, yeah. Excuse me if I'm wrong, but that's kind of how World War One started, right, with Archduke Ferdinand being assassinated. A little different. It's not, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, king of Russia, right, but that was just a random, yeah. I mean, not a random guy, but... A, well, not random. It's not so as powerful, right? But yeah. there's definitely be a war. He was a rebel, is. yeah, right. Yeah. No, yeah, no, I think United States can't do anything about Putin in terms of, like, taking him out. That I think that's just... They should just let things play out and let the Russians topple him, which is probably going to happen, you know, in my opinion, at least, in the next five, ten years, hopefully. Um, yeah, it's just interesting to see how... Uh, also the refugees, um, like a lot, there's been about 4 million Ukrainians that have left 4 million people have left Ukraine and they're going into Poland and other parts of Europe. And a couple thousand of them arrived, as I was telling you guys before the podcast started into Tijuana, uh, which is literally at the border of the United States and Mexico. And they're coming to Mexico because it's easier to fly into Mexico and get a visa there. And because the you know, Biden and the U.S. government have promised to take in 100,000 refugees. A lot of them are, you know, planned to come to the U.S. But it's going to be interesting to see if the U.S. actually lets in these Ukrainians. You know, the U.S. makes all these promises and they, they do all this talking. But it's always the other countries that end up doing most of the work in terms of like the humanitarian work of taking in people and supporting them. So we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, I, I don't think a global war is going to happen because of this uh, conflict. I think it will happen in our lifetime, um, but I don't think it's going to happen over this conflict. Maybe, hopefully not, but we'll see. Uh, do you guys think a global war will happen in our lifetime? I hope not, and I, I, I feel like nobody wants it. I think was- I think nuclear weapons are so powerful that it's like such a detergent to a global war because people knows people, everybody knows if a global war happens, there's going to be nothing left. Everybody knows that that's a fact. So I just feel like that nuclear, nuclear weapons, as ironic it may, as it may sound are kind of what's saving us from more conflict. Because mm-hmm. I think if nuclear weapons were not a thing right now, U us would be fighting with Ukraine right now. But because nuclear weapons are a thing, I think we're not, or like, you know, NATO is not helping. Nobody's helping out Ukraine. But if nuclear weapons didn't exist at all, then there would be a chance 
of not total global destruction. That's true as well. But, you know, I mean, there's... We have used them in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah, but that's when no one had them. That was only us, right? That's true. Everybody has them. So it's like, it's kind of just like we're playing the waiting game. It's like if one person uses it, then, you know, they're like, oh, they use it on us. And is this going to spiral out of control? Yeah, I think that's how World War Three starts. It, it starts with one country. No, I don't necessarily leader. agree mm-hmm. either. I think like, like, sure, of course, like nukes are not a good thing, right? But I think if a country uses it, like we've gotten so much backlash because of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, right? And nobody else had nukes at the time. So I think if, I mean, now everybody has nukes. So I think, say, maybe not the you, whoever uses a nuke, I think there's gonna be a lot of backlash on them from other countries. And I don't necessarily think it'll be uh, retaliated in the same exact way because of what you just said like if one person uses a nuke then another's going to use a nuke and it's going to be this whole nuclear I world think, war three but right it's now, like if one uses one and everybody else retaliates to them in just backlash rather than a whole nuclear war that that's a little more detrimental to that country specifically i the way i'm thinking about it right now is let's say russia nukes ukraine which is not a nuclear power right? right ukraine does not have access to nukes well what, what, what would that entail like of course maybe um u.s would be you know mad and they would attack and then if u.s attack let's say let's say uh u.s that's attacks, not necessarily true uh what do you mean that that's like that's a what if we yeah, don't right, know but, that the u.s would send a but nuke. i, I but think this that, whole scenario that's, is a what that's if. the thing yeah. yeah everything is a what if so if if a country uses Fair, okay. if, if a country uses a nuke, the re- the rest of the future is just what ifs, right? Like that that's kind of what yeah. I'm you're saying, right. You're right? this whole situation, I guess. Yeah. So I mean, I that's just like, how you're looking at it. Yeah, I'm just looking at it like if one nuclear bomb goes off, I don't know what 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 might happen, but I think it could be the start of. There's a good chance it might be the start of World War Three. Just one yeah. nuclear bomb. And I'm just I don't think it'll be a, a nuclear World War Three if that makes sense. Oh, I, I think just, it's going to be nuclear. I think it's going to oh, be nuclear. nuclear. I think if one nuke goes off, I don't think other countries would be that uh, that irresponsible. I don't <laughs> Man, think so. The, I think, you know, I think, yeah. I mean, I feel no. like it's just like, it, if especially like if someone, uh, two nuclear powers fight, it's just over, I think. So like if India launches a nuke at Pakistan or Pakistan launches a nuke at India, they both have nuclear power, right? Nuclear weapons, I mean. So if one, those if two happens, countries, I don't mind. <laughs> if it's the u.s i'll mind a little more but you know what i mean like, like they, they have allies as well you know they're part of yeah, nato yeah. whatever blah 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 so so i mean i mean I, I'm, I'm not saying you uh india or um pakistan will ever fight i'm just that's just a hypothetical or like Ukraine right actually. i get it man <laughs> yeah right but i mean yeah. it's just i think nuclear weapons are just gonna be the end all <laughs> but i mean who knows History just repeats itself, and countries and their leaders make stupid decisions, irrational decisions. It's happening in front of our eyes. Putin is making an irrational decision solely. But that's an irrational person making an irrational decision. So yeah. that's that's not. But I, there's I so many irrational people who are leading countries. Look at North Korea. Look at Kim Jong Un. Irrational person. You never know what he might making do. irrational decisions. Right, but I don't yeah. think the U.S. would go ahead and and do that. Well, we've we've uh, we have we've committed. done it because we didn't know the extent of what the bomb would do. 
No, I think we knew the extent. That's why we used it. I we think knew we well, of course it was going to be like that, but they didn't but, think it was going to be how crazy it was. They didn't know. No, the no, no. They knew. No, they knew. They knew. They knew. I don't necessarily believe that. No, no, they knew. I, if you if you watch, they knew it was bad, but they no. didn't know like the they chemical knew. Well, they did it again. Fact. No, they did it again. Be, they didn't just do it once. Yeah, buddy, but you know, after forty five, when it happened, like sixty five, that's when you started seeing all these kids with messed up. Uh, all these kids being born were all messed up. And guess what? The kids being born, it was like 10 years later, right? So these chemicals stayed in their body. There's no way for them to know at the time that that it was going to be like a chemical warfare. And it was going to last inside these people's bodies for dozens of years. Dude, check it out. Go online and check out um, uh, Chernobyl. When people were doing Chernobyl, they, uh, I mean, not people, when these scientists were there, they weren't even wearing masks. These soldiers were out there literally just like checking out just to see what the radiation would do. Right. So they didn't necessarily even know they knew radiation was going to happen. But I mean, the repercussions were insane. Like Japan will never be the same. Their citizens will have these problems forever. And I, there's no way for the scientists to have known that the, for the military. No. By, by the way, yeah. by the way, I, um, I think the scientists did know. And I think yeah. um, that's, that's one of the reasons I'm excited to watch the movie Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer comes out, I was just going to talk about it. Comes yeah. out, um, because when he when he's. Uh, um, there's like an infamous quote where he says, I am death, right? I have become death, some, some, something along those lines, when he kind of realized the power of nuclear, power, uh, nuclear weapons. Um, but what, like, this is a topic for a separate discussion, but I think if we didn't use those nuclear weapons back in, the, back, uh, in that time, I watched like a whole like 10 hour uh, podcast mm-hmm. on this, shout out uh, Dan Carlin, but there would have been more casualties if we didn't use the nuclear weapons. And because Japan was just not giving up, and yeah. they were literally. Maybe, that, that's not my. That's not my point. My whole point is that's the only time we've ever used a nuke on a country, right? So I'm right. just using that as my example. No, I'm not saying it was a good decision or bad decision. I'm mm-hmm. just saying I don't think that. It, I don't think if if one country uses a nuke, that all these countries will start shooting nukes at each other. I don't think that's practical. No, sure, okay. there's irrational Wait. people in the world, but I don't think that's that's necessarily. I think it depends on, on depends on the countries. Like, are you saying if what, a, a nuclear power sh- attacks another nuclear power, what would happen? I don't think I don't. Maybe I'm not saying it won't happen, but in my okay. mind, like in my depiction of it, it's like once country sends out a nuke, right? And I mean. Practically, it wouldn't be a Western side first. It maybe be another side first, right? Maybe it would be Russia first, or you know, maybe Korea, North Korea first. And so, say North Korea sends one out. I, I don't think the U.S.'s first uh, attack would be to send a nuke out. I think there would be a lot of just uh, social economic backlash, and that would detriment. And sure, there'll be war, right? I mean, we don't need a nuke to go destroy North Korea, right? Sure, it's easy, but that's also a lot of civilians that are dead too. So that's yeah, but, not, but I don't think, think, I don't think about think about think about how many civilians of ours died from that nuke of North Korea. That's like the whole that is true, but just because you fight fire with fire doesn't mean it's right. Yeah, but that's what's been happening in all of world world history, I feel like. Uh, you know, from like my point of view, every time it's like when one country attacks, there hasn't been like, oh, let's let's negotiate on mm-hmm. you no, know, no, I never let, said negotiate or not I just negotiate, said they won't let's... send another nuke. That's all I said. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I I'd, I'd have a different view, I guess, but I would I would say you know there would be a, pretty much a war. 
Nuclear yeah, war. at the end of the day, like we never know what's actually going to happen. Yeah. But I agree. Yeah, that's like, true. We're, and I, I, I hope we, we never know. know. We're twenty-one-year-olds speculating on this, right? So yeah, yeah. But but Oppenheimer and other scientists who were involved in like making the atomic bomb, nuclear bomb, they were warning countries not to use it. And Oppenheimer publicly criticized uh, the United States' use of its bombing on Nagasaki, the the second bombing, and they said it was uh, not necessary. Everybody necessary. condemned us for using it. What's up? No, no. It's, Oppenheimer was like that was us. one of his biggest regrets. Like he said that he created something that he regretted for the rest of his life. So like they knew the scientists told the politicians what they had made, and they told them the the consequences that it, it would have on people. So they they knew what they were doing for sure. But again, Japan was not surrendering. Like the United States was starting to bomb cities in Japan, but they were not surrendering. Yeah. It was a very right. they were very stubborn, and so. But I, again, I don't know if that if a nuclear weapon was the right response. I don't think it was. But yeah, let's just transition and talk about what's happening in a nuclear uh, armed country, uh, Pakistan. Um, do you want to talk about it, Jennifer? Do you want to tell us what's going on? I mean, <laughs> well, from my point of view, um, what's pretty much going on is um, Pakistan is unhappy with their current president. Um, not and, president, uh, prime minister. Prime minister, sorry. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's not. Uh, there's a lot of economic discontent, and this is just from what I've read. So I might be. You can, you know. In, in, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. But um, for, there's a lot of economic uh problems in uh, Pakistan, and there's a lot of like social issues, and pretty much they're unhappy with the current prime minister, and they uh, uh the parliament of Pakistan uh is a parliament or Congress? Parliament, yeah. Parliament, you're right. System, parliament yeah. of uh, Pakistan, kind of. Uh, wanted to do a vote of no confidence, which is pretty much saying that uh, the prime minister will be impeached or kicked off uh, uh, his position. Um, so they, they were trying to do a vote of no confidence, but pretty much uh, Imran Khan, the prime minister, just uh, discontinued it or just didn't let it happen. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So and what? The, what mm-hmm, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, so the Prime Minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan. So, so finish your whole opinion on this, though. I want to, I want to listen to what you have So to say. pretty much, I mean, um, I am a little confused why. I, I, I'm, I'm confused, first of all, that to see that Imran Khan has that type of power where he can just like, where something democratic is happening, where there's votes, and he can just, he has the power to just stop it. I, I don't know if that's uh, mm. like, you know, regular thing in Pakistan or if that's like a, a, a overuse of his power. But um, I think um, I'm, I'm not sure on what's going on in Pakistan in terms of like the economic discontent. And, and oh, yeah. So what I've heard also is Imran Khan said it was a um, attempt by the Western countries to uh, impeach him or get him out of power, which I'm not sure. True. Primarily the U.S. He's yeah, saying the U.S. Yeah, primarily yeah. the U.S. Because uh, if I remember correctly, Imran Khan went to talk with Putin. So, you know, that might be some sort of. Uh, issues going on there so he's saying that the u.s has something to do with this and it's not really the pakistani people it's a conspiracy from the u.s but i i, I don't know if i believe that but that's just mm. my take i don't know if i 100 believe that u.s is trying to get imran khan out of power yeah well so what's happening yeah you, i mean what you said uh is partially right like he is accusing the united states of basically uh trying to topple him and his government and uh, so not a lot of well you i disagree with you on that the, the pakistani people it's really hard to pull them right because a lot of them live in villages and in other mm-hmm. areas so it's not really and because i don't live there anymore I, i'm not quite sure of the 
public sentiment. But Imran Khan remains very, very popular, partly because he was, it's like, if let's say Michael Jordan becomes president, he'll always be popular just because he's Michael Jordan. And same with Imran Khan. Imran Khan gave Pakistan its first World Cup in cricket in 1992, and he was the captain. He was 40 years old. Imagine like Tom Brady or like, it's even bigger than that because it's a national country and the World Cup only happens four or five years. So he, when he was 40 years old trying to leave cricket, he beat England. He beat England, literally their mother country. You could say like the country that was part of that controlled Pakistan and India. They beat him in the finals. And since then, Imran Khan has been really popular and he's been trying to get into politics. I mean, in terms of not just politics, but try to get into power. And he finally did after 20 years. So he he's an athlete turned politician. And he his main platform when he was campaigning was to get out, root out corruption, you know, give Pakistan an independent foreign policy, one that's not reliant on any one country. And then he was trying to say that he was going to, you know, create institutions of justice. But because of the econ- economic crisis the world faces, Pakistan was particularly hit uh, in that inflation in Pakistan is crazy. Like inflation in America is getting to, you know, a level where it's very concerning. But in Pakistan, it's like, it's very bad. The Pakistani rupee is like lost so much value. It's it's very like when I came here, guys, in 2013, one Pakistani rupee, or no, sorry, one US dollar was 100 Pakistani rupees. And now it's 180. It's 180 uh, rupees equals one US dollar. Yeah, it's almost doubled. And so- the economic condition has worsened. And so a lot of people in uh, Pakistan are experiencing higher prices. But there's also so much corruption in Pakistan that Imran Khan is the only guy who doesn't really care about the money or the fame because he has all that. And so that's the reason why I like him, even though I disagree with him on a lot of stuff, is that he doesn't care about the money or the fame because he has all that. But everybody else in politics in Pakistan, for the most part, they're in there for fame and money, and they haven't really accomplished anything beforehand, just like the politicians here in the U.S. A lot of them are career politicians. Like, what has Biden done rather than being in politics? He's been in politics since he was 30 years old. He's accomplished virtually nothing before that. Yeah, he was a public defender for a couple of years. He almost he barely passed law school. He's not a bright guy. You know, I can give you examples of other politicians in the U.S. who accomplished nothing. Uh, and, and so it's very similar to that, but corruption to the next level. So like, one of the politicians uh, in Pakistan, a family called the Sharif family, are billionaires, and they have done nothing. All their money has come from stolen uh, goods from Pakistan, and they're basically stolen from, from Pakistan. So why, I think what's going on in Pakistan has like very multi-layers, but Imran Khan is saying that the U.S. wants him gone from power because uh, he wants independent foreign policy, one that doesn't rely on the U.S. And wh- why this is relevant in what's happening in the world is that Putin and Imran Khan met literally the week that the war in Ukraine started. And he was there when the, the war was starting and he was kind of direct signaling that, you know, I don't care if the U.S. is not good friends with Russia, that doesn't influence me, you know? And uh, Americans got mad that, why are you going there at this particular time of all the times? But it had already been like pre-planned and stuff. But India has the same policy of neutrality against Russia. And so Pakistan and Imran Khan are complaining that, India is doing the same thing, which is our neighbors and our arch nemesis, but you aren't saying anything to them. You're saying it to us. You know, like you mentioned, Janish, like India has still been, I think before the podcast, you were saying how India is still continuing to buy oil from Russia, right? At a very cheap level. And so 
obviously Narendra Modi didn't go to Russia and meet with Putin, but Imran Khan did because it was already a pre-planned schedule. Nonetheless, what was happening was a lot of the opposition to the work, the way government works in Pakistan and, and in other parliamentary systems is that because there's so many political parties, they you have to find coalition partnerships to form a majority. And so a lot of the coalition partners basically said that they're not going to be do government with Imran Khan's political party. And so he lost a majority in parliament. And so a lot of the opposition, they want him out of power. And so the way you can do that is like you mentioned, Janish, you do a, a vote of no confidence and you just need a plurality for that. And they had the votes, but Imran Khan instructed the deputy speaker to dismiss the motion and label it as unconstitutional. You're right. It's definitely very shady what he did. And so the Supreme Court of Pakistan will be ruling on it tomorrow to see whether or not that's constitutional. But if Imran Khan does succeed, the new elections will happen in 90 days. And so what happens is, in the meantime, there's a caretaker government, there's an interim prime minister as they prepare for elections. But literally in Pakistan, you can do that. The prime minister can uh, literally dissolve the National Assembly like he did. Like imagine a political leader dissolving the assembly and the elections are happening in the next two months. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the parliamentary system, but that's that's basically what's going to happen in Pakistan. And I think it's relevant. We're covering this on the podcast, right? Because Pakistan is a nuclearly armed country that has nuclear weapons. So does India. And um, it's just interesting to see the geopolitical dynamics occurring, uh, especially as Pakistan wants independent foreign policy and they want to have uh, cordial relations with Russia, even though Russia is at odds with the America currently. So. so I feel like the way you framed it, it seems more like, or correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems more like it's not really a U.S. conspiracy. It's more that the par- the people, the different parliament parties in um, Pakistan are kind of against uh, Imran. Yeah, yeah. And what, what, what happens, man, and we're so lucky to not have as much corruption in the U.S. and other countries, is that everybody kind of looks out for themselves individually you know, and like, there's a lot of bribes. So literally you can buy people out. You can bribe a politician and just buy his vote. Literally, you know, the U S has a lot of problems, so we don't have that problem. I mean, not to that explicit of a degree where you can literally just give a politician this amount of money and you have his vote. A lot of corporations do that. Actually, they, they kind of do buy politicians in a way, but not to the degree in Pakistan. And so, uh, yeah, a lot of the West has been like critical of Imran Khan because he's so, independent and kind of uh, a populist in a way that he doesn't care what he's kind of like a Trump where he's not as incompetent as Donald Trump. Obviously he's more smarter and, and, you know, knows what he's doing, but like he, (laughs) he says what it's on his mind and he's very anti he's, 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 he, you know how Trump always says America first and Ron Khan says Pakistan first, and he doesn't want to cozy up to the United States or any other countries, partly because of the war on terror. And I don't want to go too deep into like the history part of this, but in my opinion, at least I grew up idolizing Imran Khan. So I'm obviously biased, but from, in my opinion, he's done his best in terms of cleaning out corruption and enhancing social welfare in Pakistan. But um, yeah, let's see what happens. You know, I'm hoping he still stays in power because he's the only, the last shot we have as a country. Also what's interesting in Pakistan is that no prime minister has ever completed a full five-year term. Like imagine a U.S. president, not no prime minister in its history in 75 years has completed a full term. Can Wait, you why, believe that? Why is that? Oh, yeah, what happened? Well, half the country has been under martial law 
for its since its existence. So what happens is that because so in Pakistan, the the army kind of puts together the country. They're really at the core of like making sure the country is stable. And so every time there's a political crisis or like democratic leaders are unstable or like, you know, something happens, the military kind of takes over and uh, they rule for like nine years, eight years. And usually it turns out better than the other years. It's like martial law. It's better than it in times. It, it's like, it's actually been better uh, than like when a popularly elected leader has been in power. But again, a lot of elections in Pakistan are also uh, rigged, like actually rigged, not like how Trump says American elections are rigged. Like they're actually like legitimately rigged. But in 2018 was like one of the first elections that Imran Khan was elected was like it was considered to be much more just and like fair than other elections. And still a lot of Western people say that the army essentially, you know, brought Imran Khan to power. And recently Imran Khan has been at odds with the army because the army actually wants uh, the U.S., to have, I mean, wants Pakistan to have more better relations with the U.S. And Imran Khan doesn't want, like, he wants to be friends with everyone, not at the expense of Pakistan, essentially, if that makes sense. So he wants to have the foreign policy that India has, essentially, where they have an independent foreign policy, right, for the most part. And so he's espousing towards it. But let's see what happens. And, and do, do you have an opinion on, or maybe you know something on why um, the U.S. is treating India differently than of Pakistan? course because india has just done better than pakistan it's like i i'm I'll, i mean i'm not like like india has done so much better than pakistan economically uh you guys have a in like a very you know what you what india has been able to accomplish in the last 70 years is truly uh it's astounding i mean india is like one of the it, it, i would say one of the best opportunities to invest uh you have a growing population you have over a billion people uh, you know, infrastructure in India has improved significantly. It's just a better economic partnership for any country than Pakistan, which is still struggling. Like I said, no leader has ever even been able to finish a full term in power. I mean, that's just crazy to me. And Imran Khan is like, he was at three and a half years, almost four years. He still had like a year and a half left of finishing it up. So yeah, you know, we'll see what happens, but it's just relevant, you know, because if there were to be a global war, you know, Pakistan would be a front runner just as much as India because they both have nuclear weapons. And I believe only eight countries have nuclear weapons in the world, eight or nine, somewhere along those lines. And so Pakistan and India happen to be two of those seven, eight or nine countries. All right. I mean, uh, if we're uh, cool with that, let's transition to the last thing I want to talk about. And that's um, kind of this whole ordeal with uh electric car companies i mean everybody's noticed there's been an influx of electric electric car companies there's rivian uh lucid motors uh obviously tesla's the big one and there's, there's just been new startups um i think it was nikola a lot of these um even you know hydrogen based when nikola's a scam that doesn't count <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, no but actually what, what, what you might have noticed is actually a lot of these companies are kind of scamming at, to a certain degree because um you know what they do so this is like this is like the process of the the company or how they're kind of uh, how they get money to you know make cars is they first they think of an idea you know and, and usually the ideas are great they think of a bunch of great ideas and the first challenge in their roadmap is developing a prototype right and most of them have actually successfully developed a prototype 
So they develop a prototype and they market it and it's awesome. Everybody loves it. Everybody's like, wow, this is the next big thing. Then what happens is they start, uh, you know, asking for money. Like here, check out this prototype. Uh, you know, they get investors like, hey, we're going to make, uh, you know, these margins on this and it's going to be insane and, you know, hype it up. And then this is where everybody gets stuck. Every electric car company gets stuck is production. They can never get the production right. They all, you know, uh, there's literally companies, I think um, Lucid Motors and there's another one. I don't recall the name right now. Faraday. You know, uh, Faraday, right. There, there's like other, these companies where they've actually gotten like hundreds of millions of dollars in investor money. And they're still stuck in production because production of these cars is just so difficult. There's, you know, you know, Tesla has all these gigafactories that set, you know, it, it was years for them to set it up. And, you know, uh, it's been paying off for them, but for these newer companies, it's just so difficult. And even, even companies like Toyota, all these existing gas car companies, it's just been hard for them to even transition in, into electric um, companies. I mean, like, you know, set up their manufacturing process so they can produce electric cars. And, um, you know, th that's partly because of the difficulty of making battery packs and all these other things. But I just found it ridiculous that all these companies are, and, and another false promise, like the, the most messed up part is you can go on these websites right now, like Lucid Motors, and you can order their car right now. You could pay like $80,000. Um, you can order, uh, I think three years ago, or I think 2017 was, or 18 when they released it, uh, 20, uh, 22, I think the Roadster 2, Tesla Roadster 2, when they released that, um, you, you could order it. You could pay 200K upfront and you order it, you be first in line. And they said that it's going to come out 2021. It's still not out. They said it's going to come out 2022. It's still not out. All these, all these guys are accepting all this money. Like you guys just pay up and we'll, we'll release the car 2022, but they're not delivering. So it's just like, when, when does it get to a level of, this is actually illegal marketing, like, or this is illegal promises, right? Where they're promising these cars, like the, uh, Elon Musk promised uh, Cybertruck 2021, I think initially. And then they said they had to delay 2022 while they're already getting money for the pre-orders, like thousands or hundreds of millions of dollars in the pre-order money, but they're not delivering the cars uh, on the time that they said they would deliver. So I, I kind of just wanted to have a discussion with you guys and just get your guys' take on how, like, is this is this horrible business practices and I don't know how they're getting away with this stuff. So, okay, L let's think about that, right? So they're asking for pre-order money and they're taking this money in, right? So what does that tell you? That tells you that sure they have a prototype out and the production line is not going yet. So they're utilizing that pre-order money in order to get the production rolling, right? But the problem every everybody faces, like all these car companies face, is that production for a vehicle doesn't matter if it's electric, doesn't matter if it's gas, even for GM, right? GM is arguably the big now Tesla is, but arguably the largest car company out there. And they have all these concept cars and they have all these prototypes and nothing happens, right? Concept cars are night and day. They, they show up, they'll be at, at a, uh, a show and they're gone, right? Auto shows all the time have cars. And so the dilemma is like, you can look even historically, right? Like, like you'll see in Nova's, like Nova's are classic cars and nobody thought they would go away because they were just, you know, they're economical, they're nice looking cars and they're cool, but guess what? They're gone. And that just happens with cars. They just, they, they're here and then they're gone. They're here and then they're gone. And then all these companies think that 
you know, we can create all these concepts because they have these genius designers and these genius marketers, right? Creating these like grand schemes. But the reality is that the math doesn't work out. Cars are extremely expensive to produce. The margins, unless you're talking about Lambo or you're talking about a, a high-end Mercedes, the margins are low. And not only that, they're selling it to a third-party dealer where their margins are already low. And now the dealer is upping the price, right? So we have this whole production line concept and nobody really understands like how difficult it is to get a functional car onto the market, especially because the, another thing, right? It's not like it's an iPhone or it's not like it's, you know, something simple, like, like it's a hydro flask. It's like an actual vehicle that you're putting on the road and the assembly line for it is so complex that that's my actually majority of why like concept cars and a lot of these cars like fail because their production line fails. They, they their assembly line isn't efficient enough and the profitability isn't there. Yeah, I agree. Um, right. And, and last thing before we get into like the whole business practicality of it, um, a lot of these cars, they just a lot of car companies, they don't produce, they don't produce profit. You can go online and you can Google search. Uh, how many cars are stuck? Like what they'll do is they'll mass produce cars, right? And once you mass produce cars, you have no choice but to sell them or they're sitting product or they're sitting, uh, uh, what do they call? They call it sitting uh, finished, uh, finalized material. And so what happens is when you have finalized material, you sell it, right? And like, that's kind of the whole thing of how we've had it. It's just, it's called just in time uh, production. And so what will happen with cars and almost everything right now prior to pandemic is just in time. So people will order it and it's right there. But for the longest time, sorry, that's what's happened since the pandemic. But what they've had is they have had just in case cars. And so what that means is they mass produce all these cars because they think they're going to sell. And reality is they, un they over budget themselves and they undersell. And so now you have lots that, that Toyota owns, that Ford owns, that GM owns. And all it is, is millions of sitting cars. And guess what? That's all money out of their pocket. So now they're dry, right? And so now Toyota, you, they didn't sell enough uh, Toyota Tundras, right? So now they're trying to sell their Corollas. And those are beyond low margin. And so they just have to sell more of those to not only make up for the Corolla, but they have to make up for the Tundra. And right. so there's so many aspects of, like business-wise of why being in a car company is just bad. And it seems cool. And it seems like it could be profitable. Um, it, it gets into profitability when you're Elon Musk and you're able to create an overpriced Tesla stock. Like that's tenfold of the most profitable car company, GM, right? But that doesn't make sense for him to... I guess to investors, it makes sense because it's the future and, you know, disruptive stocks and all of that, right? And disruptive companies. But mathematically, it doesn't make sense for Tesla to come out when it came out and be 10 times more, more uh, worth, right, than GM or Ford has been. Mm -hmm. uh, but in terms of business practices, it's like the reason I don't think that they they think it's it's false marketing or false um i think it is right because there, there's bullshitters all yeah. these people are bullshitters um you have investors in faraday i know extensively in faraday so i don't know too much about lucid uh but faraday it, it was a chinese billionaire guy and this guy has stupid amount of money right he he has like uh i don't want to say monopoly but i will say monopoly in china uh in car companies in amusement parks and car companies in China. And he wanted to create something to compete against Faraday because 
he didn't like all the attention Elon was getting that he didn't get it outside of China. And so what he went ahead and did was he got investing money. He, I don't remember, I don't know the exact number, so don't quote me, but hundreds of millions. And now Faraday's been bankrupt like two times, right? And so all this money is just down the drain. Um, but the thing is, that's what you are when you're an angel investor, right? You're, when you're an angel investor, you're hoping a product works out. But the likeliness is, I think nine out of 10 products fail. And yeah. so you can't really say that it's it's false because you're just being an angel investor in it. Um, no, it's kind I, of like it's kind of like investing on, on uh, what's it called? What's that? Uh, Kickstarter. Like you're hoping that the company works out, but no, likeliness is that it's not. I don't mind. I don't mind about the investors. I think investors, obviously, they're taking a risk and losing the money. I think mm-hmm. the problem is customers. Like if I'm going to pay five thousand dollars and you're going to promise me like in 2017, I'm going to pay five thousand dollars to reserve your car. And you're promising me the car is going to Is that how much it costs, though? Right now, to reserve a Roadster 2, it costs $5,000. Okay, buddy, but you're talking about a $250,000 car. Okay, uh, Cybertruck was what, like $500? No, it's 100 bucks. 100 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, $100. Um, you re- or I, I mean, I guess that, that in that case, you could just be like, oh, it's only $100. But I think it's still a lot, a lot of these other companies are charging thousands. It's a principle. I get what you're saying. It's a yeah. principle of it. Like, you can't ask for money and then not, not produce. I get it. Yeah. But I mean, and, aren't and- car companies in general, though? facing like supply chain shortages still 100 like, no, and like they, that's a contributing factor to a lot of the delayed productions and like the roadster or the cybertruck or other cars but that's different because those are producing in the states yeah but the states also have a uh, chip shortage and, and the supply chain shortage that, like, true they do have a chip shortage that, uh, however that is, that is significantly decreasing right now by the way um, so it's gotten much better it's gotten way much much better since mm. um you know pandemic last year where you literally couldn't buy like a chip, uh, you know, uh, car because, car of, because that. of that. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just a good uh, thing, you, you know, customers should consider when buying like, these cars or, you know, uh, even reserving them, pre-ordering them where it's like, uh, and a lot of these like are non-refundable pre-orders, by the way, as well. So it's just like, if, you know, um, I don't know if, we should be pre-ordering and customers should just be wary about what they're getting themselves into, even though the prototype looks sick and everybody's hyped up about it. Read the fine print. That's where they right. get you. It's a mm. fine print. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything well, else? No, oh, you know what? Let, let, let's mention it real quick. Okay. Oh yeah. So this morning at 2 AM, there was a mass shooting in Sacramento. Uh, I just, for respect to the victims, I just figured we'd mention it. There's not too much information out yet. We just know that uh, there was policemen. They heard shooting. They head to the site, and 18 people have been shot. Six have been killed. Uh, 12 have been injured. And I, I just, you know, a little – it's just sad, right? It's just we're seeing this every – it's like every month there's a mass shooting now. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff that we don't hear about that, that goes on, right? Um and it's just brutal. It's sad. It's people. I don't, I don't know what, what goes through people's head that they think they should go murder innocent civilians. You know what I mean? Like they're obviously not right in the head and there's not really anything we can do about it because people are uh, a victim of their own mind and we can't do anything about that, but it's just sad. Just, you know, let's mention it and, you know, condolences to the families and victims. Yeah, apparently 76 shots were fired in 54 seconds. 
That's insane. Uh, yeah. Also, yeah. I um, I mean, multiple gunmen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what yeah. I was gonna say. There's multiple shooters. I mean, yeah. that makes sense. If 76 shots, I don't think one person, unless I mean AR, but yeah. Um. So there were multiple shooters, and I hope not an AR, but a machine gun. Yeah, machine gun. Right. I hope uh, you know, they find, they find what you know the cause and what's happening. Like, cause I'm I'm kind of whole. I'm very confused about what happened you know was there like a situation or was it just like in terrorism just murder intent of murder no, i'm confused but i don't know how there what what was going on for there to be a group of people in the middle of the street at, at 2 a.m i mean you know that's when Did people you... are living clubs and stuff right i mean wasn't it yeah. near the capital though um near the state capital i'm not i'm not 100 so it was on k street in downtown sacramento actually i was in sacramento about like a month ago and um what days? So it's Saturday. So, it happened Saturday night, right? I mean, yeah. And there's people in like these cities in 2 a.m. It's not like uh, uncommon to have people walk the streets, you know, yeah, at so 2 a.m. Like for 18 people to get hit by 12 wounded, six dead. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. So 18 people. Yeah. 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 That, that's just, that's pretty crazy in a minute. I mean, I guess it's not uncommon, but I just wonder what was going on. And of course, uh, you know, that every news channel is going to start debating about gun laws and stuff. Like every time, uh, you know, this shit happens where someone, you know, this is a murder. And I feel like it's just like a repeating cycle at this point that. Yeah. Nothing actually happens. America is just like, you know, it's just, it is what it is. Like just deal with it. We're going to have guns. That's the thing, right? It's like nothing happens. And so what do you do as, as a human, as like, as us, we're 21 year olds. And it's like, we can't, I mean, we can talk and we have a podcast or we have a voice maybe uh, to the 30 viewers here. But the <laughs> thing is, like, in my opinion, when when you have an opinion, you're strong, you feel strong about it. It's like affect your inner circle, because guess what? That inner circle might take your advice and they're more likely to take your advice than these random people. And, you know, they have their own inner circle. And that's how you ha- that's how you create change, in my opinion. Um, I care more about the people in my circle than random people out there. So I prefer to face my energy towards that. And, you know, potentially snow, maybe, maybe it creates a snowfall effect. Maybe it doesn't. I mean, in my opinion, it's just, I'd rather focus my energies on that rather than trying to change politicians' minds. And because yeah, right. reality is reality. It, it doesn't happen. Right. And I'm not naive in, in that way to believe that America creates all this change and all this bullshit anymore. Yeah, do what you can, right? Damn, man, yeah, you guys just you turned cynical. You guys <laughs> just sound, sound like a uh, 60, 70 year old. No, like, I mean, I mean, huh? I'm there's, an a certain, <laughs> yeah, there's a certain truth no, to what Matt is saying, but I mean, I, I'm hoping, you know, there's a uh, change in. Bro, it, it is true, man. Let's not sugarcoat this shit. It's like nothing, nothing happens. Yeah, mm. I'm I'm more pessimistic about the gun laws and stuff like that more than other st- other um, things. Like I think there can be changes in other, you know, fields, but I think in gun laws, it's been it's just a repeating pattern that we've seen millions of times. And um, the thing is, millions, like but, having you know. gun, even having gun law change, it'll help, but it it's not going to stop these people. Like mentally, are not okay. You think not buying a gun at Walmart is going to help? It's it's not going to help. They it's easy to buy a gun. It's really easy to buy a gun on the black market. Like it's not a difficult thing. And, and just have the, the problem. It's a mindset shift that that's what needs to happen. It's not necessarily even what the government needs to, you know, ban gun laws because the average person is going to buy a gun to go hunt 
or they're buying it for their protection in their home. But not, that, not the average person in LA though, <laughs> or like maybe other of parts. Of course not in LA, but yeah. that's why there's way more stringent gun laws in LA. You can go to mm-hmm. Arizona and you can buy a gun by signing a couple of papers. In LA, there's a five-step vetting process. And that's why I haven't bought a gun yet. It's just, it's a stringent <laughs> process. No, yeah. d- I'm and being I think completely it's, honest. I, I actually like, agree I'm not, with strict I'm not gun anti-gun. Laws. Yeah, yeah. I'm not no. anti. I'm not I either. I just think, get a gun in terms of yeah. the background. Uh, you know it, it should be no yeah that very, for sure yeah it should be, it should really be difficult a, yeah. honestly uh, i support well, the thing is, that doesn't stop these guys that doesn't stop them yeah some of them yeah yeah but i think you can stop some people it definitely can like having extremely hard gun laws Maybe i think you can stop a lot of people they'll just it be happens. lazy and not buy guns oh, it's so hard. well it, it's I, i'm talking about like mass shootings right i'm not talking about like like, well, look in New Zealand or like Australia. They, I mean, like, they... dude, but they have a completely different mentality. Their social structure is completely different. It's not comparable. Mm, no, but I still think like having strict gun laws um, is important. It just says like nobody should just be able to go into Walmart and buy a gun. That is very true. I don't you think know? so either. Yeah. But um, I, I don't think that stops mass shooting from happening. I think it's a mental state, it's a mm. thought process, and I think it's a social thing that happens mm, yeah there's different layers yeah. to it and i think that's, that's a good segue to end the podcast um right. talk about a lot of issues and uh yeah we'll see you guys next time